Wow. I want to, in this series, Pray and Go, here we've been uh, several weeks in thinking about uh, the, the, the fact that the, the disciples saw Jesus praying and said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And I don't know that they made any other requests of him except that one that's noted in the, in the Scripture. Isn't that just absolutely fascinating? And then, then we have a passage that Jeremy, Jeremy shared a couple of weeks ago about, um, about the Scripture says over and over again, and when you pray, and when you pray this, and when you pray this, and when you pray, and it just assumes that prayer is, is our life. It's our life. It's, it's, it's what makes us we're as spiritual beings under God and in relation to God. Last week, I, I suggested that what if we prayed like an apostle? Could we learn to pray like an apostle? And so the, the, the passage that I used was the very one that Jeremy used for our, our uh, songs this morning, that we, we, we pray that we might know him better. That that's Paul's prayer. And in, in Paul's prayer, he says, I, I want you to know the hope, the hope that, that, that God has infused into our life and it's a part of our future. And I want you to know the riches. And, and the riches begin, there are lots of riches, but, 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 but it begins with God himself. And then I want you to know the power. Once you know the power and the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life, moment by moment, could we learn to pray like an apostle? And yet I wanted to back up for just a moment today, or maybe it's moving forward. I don't know if it's, it, in some ways it's both. It's, it's backing up in the sense of my question, the, the actual attempt in my message this morning is, is to talk about the results of prayer, which I guess would be a cl- good culmination to the series, the results of prayer. But the question I have for you is, have you ever wondered if prayer actually makes a difference. You ever had that conversation with yourself? Or maybe had that conversation with God? And on one level, I bet there's some defensiveness when I, with a preacher, would even say such a thing from the congregation that we might say, well, of course prayer makes a difference. And, and in one sense, I can quickly agree with you because it does center us. The times over the last year where I was finding myself ang- anxious, there was something about centering prayer that was so good. And I will agree with you that prayer gives us insight at, into the spiritual world, and prayer at times can help us prioritize our lives, and prayer, I, I've noticed this again and again, when you get a group together, it draws them together in a, in a, in a relational strength and unity, so it, it brings us closer together. But I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question on a different level for just a minute, because if you noticed all of those observations about prayer, in some ways happen within us, but they're almost independent of God. My question is this, does God through prayer actually make a difference? And it seems to me that there are two ditches that we could fall into. The first one is to answer, no, it's all up to me. And I actually think that we're tempted and most of us find ourselves in this ditch a lot. 
In other words, we don't answer this way boldly and say it's all up to me or arrogantly and say it's all up to me, but deep down we feel that if something's going to happen, I better make it happen. And in this view, which seems to me to be rich in American history, we are effectively deist. That God has wound up the world, He's created it for us, and He's handed us the keys, and He said, go at it. And I believe that's a very prevalent view, and certainly one that we might hold on to. And I would suggest that if that is the case, then our primary reason for prayer is to pray for ourselves, that is, to realign ourselves with God. And I've certainly heard that, I've certainly read that in many books, I've certainly experienced that, and I've heard members of this congregation say that, that I don't know that God does anything per se, but I know that it certainly realigns my heart. In other words, to center us or to, just to clear up the cobwebs. So is the ball only and always on our half of the field? Or if there is any scoring to be done, we've got to get it done. And again, I suspect that describes many of us more than we'd like to admit. Because I wonder, why is it that prayer feels so awkward to us? Many of us, maybe not all of us. And maybe for some of us, it just feels almost a little too magical. To ask God is to feel like we're waving a magic wand. And in a world of science and data and inputs and outputs, made, waving a magic wand seems to be a bit far-fetched. There's an old saying that uh, St. Augustine said that reminds me of this ditch that we might find ourselves in. He said, work as though everything depended on you. You've probably seen this quote a time or two. Work as though everything depended on you and pray as though everything depended on God. Well, here's the bit of a problem I have with that quote. It seems to imply you better work hard in case God doesn't come through. Do everything you know to do, then turn to God. Wouldn't it be better if the quote went this way? Work as though everything depended on God and pray as though everything depended on God. <laughs> because it all depends on God. I'm trying to keep us out of one of the ditches. On the other hand, here's the other side. Here's the other ditch. All right. It's not all up to me. It's all up to God. It's all up to God. The logic and the line of logic goes something like this. If God is all-knowing and God is all-wise and God is all-powerful and God is all-sovereign and God is all-good then God already knows the future, and if He's good, then why would a good and sovereign God not do the right things? So why do I need to bother to pray? Why bother to ask? 
Isn't praying somewhat of a waste of time? And why, and why could I even imagine myself praying harder? Didn't God hear it the first time? You see, from a purely rational view, it says that if this God is who we say He is, then why do we have to even ask Him for this or that? Better to get it out of the way and let Him do His thing. And yet we know on another level that there are a lot of things that God could do, but He doesn't do. He doesn't do for us. He could keep our bodies strong and repair us day to day, providing what we need without us taking any food intake or any nutrition. But He doesn't do that. He could keep us wide awake without sleep. And yet He provides for us to sleep. I would suggest that maybe prayer is like food and it's like sleep. I want to say, maybe this is the way to say it. If number one is one ditch and number two is it's all up to God is in the other ditch, then let's see if there's a third way. Is there a way where we could say it's the way of partnership with God? Try that out. I used the word partnership. There probably could have been a number of ways of describing it, but that we join God in His work, and we invite Him into our work, and that we are co-laborers with God together. He desires for His children, His desires for His children uh, create who we are created in His likeness. We we, we co-create the world with Him. That's what I'm trying to get at. And prayer is the means of this co-creation. In other words, what if there are things that only God can do, and there are things that only we must do, and then there are things that will only get done if we do them together with God? We co-labor, and it really is a tag team effort. Let's go back to our original question. Are our prayers always answered? Does prayer make a difference? Well, remember Jesus, the greatest man of faith and the Father's only Son and the man of wisdom and courage, and He's praying in the garden, and and, and He says, Father, take this cup from me. And He repeats the prayer, take this cup from me. Does God answer his prayer? Certainly didn't answer it by taking the cup from him. In fact, the father overruled the son's prayer. And the son becomes the source of our salvation through going to the cross and his death and resurrection. Well, then again, we see in Scripture, remember how Peter was so confident that he would not ever betray his Savior, and then the rooster crows, and Peter denies Jesus three times, and here's what I want you to see in Scripture in Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 and 32. Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Then he says this in verse 32, but I have prayed for you. Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, why, why is this passage so significant? Because Jesus knew Satan's power to take down Peter, that he would be sifted. Jesus also knew that Peter would turn his life back to God. How could Jesus know this? How could he be so sure? The text tells us, because I have prayed for you. Go ahead and put our text back up there. I want you to see that line again. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. In other words, God answers Jesus' prayers. God cannot answer prayers that are not offered. He asks us to go and to pray. He'll hear our prayers. He'll answer our prayers. We're co-laborers with Him. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's basically 50 days after Easter. And in Acts chapter 1, the early church was gathered, and they'd been asked to gather together in that upper room, praying, waiting, as the Lord had commanded them to, waiting for the day of Pentecost. And they were obeying the Lord by coming together and by praying. And the Lord answered with the sending of the Holy Spirit in a way that the world had never seen before. The disciples obeyed and they prayed and God acted in the world through the Holy Spirit, co-creation. Let's think about another passage in the book of Acts. Chapter 4, they're gathered together again. And the text says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the Word of God boldly. In other words, there was the church gathered in prayer, crying out in faith, pleading for the Lord to move. They prayed and the Lord answered. The Holy Spirit came upon them and it shook the whole place, producing boldness, giving them confidence to share the word about Jesus Christ raised from the dead. They're co-laborers with the Lord. Later in the book of Acts, Peter was thrown into prison for sharing the gospel, and the church came together, and knowing that he was in prison, and they, they prayed like crazy for him, and they laid their hearts out before God, and they were pleading for Peter's release, and suddenly there was a knock at the door, and the servant girl uh, op uh, opens the door, and she, he or she hears Peter's voice, and she's so pumped that she leaves the door closed and runs to tell the others that Peter is outside. They prayed, God answered, the believers were scared and shocked that God had heard and answered their prayers. What am I trying to say with all of this? Prayer is more than getting our heads straight or calming us or centering our spirit. It is all those things, but it is more than that. 
Prayer moves God to act as we co-labor with Him. Co-creators of His kingdom. This is the way He set up the world. This is His arrangement for how the world works. Is it strange? Yeah, because we're so limited in our capacity to understand how it works and when it works and how prayer, how prayer functions and how, what God is responding to. I understand all that. We can't see. We can't see. We're very, it's very limited in our visibility to, to grasp it, and yet it is the way of God's kingdom. It's made explicit in the book of James, and I want to finish there today. James, Jesus' brother. James, known later by early church historians as Old Camel Knees. In other words, he was on his knees. And he had calluses on his knees from his prayer life. And James puts it plainly in the book of James. And we shared this passage in our, in our study on the book of James uh, together with our intergenerational uh, Bible class just a few weeks ago. But I want to read this again. Think about James. Because James, of, of, of all the writers in the New Testament, he's one of those who is a doer. He's, 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 he's not that big on theology sometimes. He's like, let's do this. Let's get this done. And yet... Look at what he says about prayer. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Are any of the, is anyone sick? Does anyone know of a family member that's sick? Does anyone know of a friend that are sick? I invite you, I, I want to command you, I want to exhort you, I want to urge you. Invite them to come and have the elders pray over them. Because there's power in prayer. God answers prayer, according to James. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. How are we doing on that? And pray for each other. So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now look at verse 17 and 18. If that wasn't a stretching section of Scripture that I just read, how about this one? Elijah was a human being. Duh. Why did James point that out? Because he's just like us. He wasn't a magician. He wasn't an angel. He's one of us. 
and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Co-creators of the kingdom of God. Have you slipped? I know I've been, found myself times slipping into one of these ditches. It's all up to me. Or God, you know, so why do I need to bother you? And what I see in Scripture is that path, that middle path of relationship, partnership, co-laborers, co-creators of what God desires for His world and for each one of us.